We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball, Tim, because you and I are the same way. Uh, my biggest question mark going into the spring was the defensive line. I have more questions at linebacker. You and I are somewhat on the same page at linebacker and somewhat disagree. I, I The argument I made last year is for people that are clamoring for somebody else to play linebacker. At one of those positions, I agree with. I, I still don't understand the, the, the J.D. Bertrand disrespect. I'll flat out call it disrespect, and we've talked about that on this show. Uh, Jack Kaiser to me is an interesting player. The issues that I had with Jack Kaiser are not Jack Kaiser. It's, it was the Notre Dame coaches. And this is the thing for me with linebackers. It's not just the problems on the D line. It was the way that they were used and what they were being asked to do in year one. In my opinion, there was too much on their plate. We've seen this before. I thought there was too much on their plate. They play with uncertainty at times. Like I remember the long running it's cow where Jack Kaiser just doesn't, doesn't get over the top and scrape. I know Jack Kaiser can make that play. I've seen Jack Kaiser make that play, but he was uncertain of what he was supposed to do. And then next thing you know, he he gets sealed inside. My whole thing is is a, is a couple things. Number one, in year two, I expect there to be improvement because they're going to have even if Al Golden doesn't change a thing, they're going to be better because they're going to have a much better sense of the offense of the defense this year. They're just going to know it better. And and my hope is that they start to utilize the talent more effectively. And the point I've made is. If you can stop putting Jack Kaiser in space and ask him to cover down the field against athletic guys with his lack of length and let him attack the football, when Jack Kaiser's used to attack the football, he's been pretty darn good the last two years. What we're seeing this spring is almost almost exclusively Jack Kaiser being used to attack the football, and he's been pretty good. JD's JD. The, the question for me still remains the will position, but I'm a lot more confident in Mike and Rover than I was a year ago. And I also more confident because of the, you've seen Nolan Ziegler have a great spring. He's your biggest linebacker on your roster. And oh, by the way, he's also your fastest linebacker right now. Him and Jalen Steed are the two fastest linebackers from a, from a speed standpoint. Jalen Steed's now going into year two. You know, he's still going to make mistakes, but he's going into year two. And then you've got a couple of freshmen that have really impressed me so far this spring. So there's a lot better numbers that we're seeing there. The talent has always been better than I think it's been given credit for compared to last season. So it's given me a lot more confidence in what that unit's going to do. And now it comes down to, but is the D line going to be better? And I think that's the thing that I've seen before too. And I've noticed two things about the D line. Number one is Riley Mills finally looks comfortable playing inside. And number two, this is a much bigger defensive line than we saw last year, where last year there were two guys in the rotation above 290. And that was Gabriel Rubio, and because Aiden Kanaana got hurt in March, so he wasn't in it. It's Gabriel Rubio and Chris Smith. Chris Smith was such an important pickup for this team last year. If you don't have him, it could have it, it could have really got ugly trying to stop the run. Now, Tim, there's only, I think, one guy. Let me think here, two, two, two guys that period going through the spring at defensive tackle that are under 290 pounds. That's Donovan Heinish and Howard Cross. We know what Howard Cross can do. And and so I think those things have really impressed me, Tim. And yesterday, Riley Mills was an absolute dude yesterday. 
but he's been good to me all spring because he he was always a guy that had a D tackle body, but a big end game to me. Now I think he's finally gotten comfortable being a defensive tackle. And I think we're starting to see that benefit this defensive line. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AGI a try because I wanted better gut health, sustained energy, immune support system, but I hate taking pills. And I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great, which is helping me kick my sugar addiction. In the morning before I get to work, I like getting something healthy in my body. And with AG1, I'm giving my body the nutrition it craves. It's very important for me to get my day started off with something healthy. But with my schedule, it's hard to prepare healthy meals. AG1 is a very quick way to pack my body with all that I need to jumpstart my day in a very healthy way. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of AG1 with water and drink it first thing every morning. Done. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. It's pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with the highest quality source ingredients. Win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash irish. That's athleticgreens.com slash irish. Check it out. One of the questions that was asked of us is, you know, like who's who has a chance to beat out some of the older players? Like, can we'll... we'll can, can Tyson Ford beat out Riley Mills? Well, <laughs> you just invested two years of Riley Mills. I mean, I, I, and I was disappointed many times with Mills because I didn't think after his initial surge, I didn't think that he would fight to get off blocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that, I mean, it's, I, I still think that that's a work in progress, but there's no doubt that, that he's made significant strides. Howard Cross you wish he was bigger, but God bless him. I mean, he's a good football player. Gabriel Rubio's size, his length is extremely important. I think him and Mills as a tandem and three technique is really, really interesting and something that they can build upon. I don't know what you've seen of Jason Anye. I've been Love very it. impressed with Anye. Do you feel the same way about Love that? It. I mean, that is a guy with length and maneuverability. And he's twitchy. He absolutely is. He can pen. He can. He can. He's twitchy, like like Cross is twitchy off the snap, but he's longer, and, so and you he's have more about thirty pounds bigger, right? And so you have more to deal with as as an interior offensive lineman. I really been impressed with Jason Anya, and it's like, well, why hasn't Tyson Ford developed? Well, he was a defensive end coming out of high school, and he's had to add, add thirty pounds and learn a new position. Uh, you know, a, a, a defensive tackle. Um, I, I'm really impressed with Anya. Um, I've also had people say to us, well, why don't they put Rubio at nose and cross at three technique? Because you want that length at three technique. You want that six, five plus guy at three technique, not a six foot guy at three technique, even though cross, that may be Cross's best. The, position. the debate for me should be about should Rubio and Onye switch? not crossing Rubio. I'm, I'm with you on that. Like to me, I, I still think Rubio would be better at nose than three technique. Cause I don't think he's a, enough of a playmaker as a three technique. 
Having said that, the other thing too is when you break down this team, they they're going to all play both spots. I mean, they're going to shift their fronts to where Howard Cross is lining up over the guard and Riley right, Mills right, is lining right, up right, over right. the center. So it's not as important as it was like in 2012 where the nose was the nose. I mean, just you always Lewis yeah. Nix was going to be in some version of an inside shade over the guards or over the center in some capacity. But that would be the only debate to me because to your point, I don't want a a six foot guy at guard. I mean, over the guard. It just there's a lot of reasons why we can get into, but the length to me at three technique needs to be greater. And, and so I agree with your point, Tim. Is athletically Howard is a guy that could play that position. Yeah, I'm going to bet you nickel that I'm going to bet you nickel that Rubio becomes a, a little bit more of a playmaker. That that's fine. I think he could at nose. That's that's where I'm because his game is about power, in my opinion. And I hope you're right because I like Gabriel and I think he brings a lot of value. I just think I would slide him inside and let him battle noses a little bit more. Is all I'm saying. And I think well, maybe, they speed, will, maybe they yeah. will make the adjustments like you referred to, and then it then it's a wash. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't but matter. at the end of the day, he's going to be over the guard at times and over the center at times. Just yeah. the nature of the way they play yeah. this defense. Yeah. So it's not something I'm. It's sort of like a well, if it was up to me, I would do this. But it's not one of those things I'm banging on the table saying I cannot believe that they're not moving this guy. Well, and, it's not and, one of those things. And you know what? It makes the opposing offensive line adjust from snap yeah. to snap sometimes. Okay, yeah. I'm dealing, I'm dealing with a six five guy now. I'm dealing with cross with his with his anvils for for fifths and, and really great first step. that's the other thing about oh howard cross God, incredible great for that on high school film just an incredible oh, yeah. player off the snap of the football yeah. and a great just a love talking to howard cross the important thing for them is they need they need those and another guy that i've been impressed with this spring too tim is donovan heinish He's really impressed this spring. I haven't seen that. Tell me about yeah. it. He's just quick. I mean, he's he's a more athletic version of Kurt. It is really creepy watching him practice in the 41 jersey because he's built so much like Kurt. It's not quite as big as Kurt was yet when he ended his career, but he's about where Kurt was when Kurt was a redshirt freshman. He's, he's over 280 now. He's got very strong hands, as you'd expect the Heinish to have very strong hands. But he's really quick. His technique is still a work in progress. And when yeah. he doesn't use his hands, he's very blockable. But when he uses his hands and he's quick off the ball, he's a lot like Howard Cross, but in a bigger body. He's got a really nice first step. And when he comes off low and gets vertical with his first step and then uses his hands enough to keep a guy off of his body, he's hard to block. But then the next – like so one, he had a one-on-one yesterday. We just, he just killed Zeke Carell, just smoked him. Then the next rep he comes in and he runs right down the middle of a guy and he can't get off the block and he just gets soaked up. And you're like, it's yeah. just that consistency, right? Yeah. He's still learning it. Yeah. But the tools are there. I mean, if he's got to give me five, 10 snaps a game, I, I, I'm okay with that. And so I just, but it's important because if you can take about 10 snaps per game off of Howard Cross's body, especially against the Navies and the Tennessee States and the Central Michigans and things like that. And this is where the offense is going to help the defense a ton this year. Keeping Howard Cross fresh in November is going to be very important for Notre Dame because he's always been a great September, middle of October guy, and then he just wears down because they have to play him so yeah. much. And and that's something that hurt Jason Adamiola too, is Jason Adamiola was often banged up by the time we got to November yeah, you're because he right. couldn't take that pounding. But this is also where the offense can help because last year you could not take them off the field because every game was competitive for the most part going into the fourth yeah. quarter. This is where if the offense is as good as we think it's going to be, you're going to see the the backups playing more against Navy and Tennessee State and Central Michigan, and then a couple other ACC teams that they'll just have a good day against. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen to Kiana Ina? I just I hope he sticks it out. I mean they they need to find a, a role for him in my opinion because the one thing that 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 part of the reason this team was this team was actually statistically pretty good on defense in a lot of areas last year. I've made this case that if yeah, they Notre just Dame's in the red zone. <laughs> yes, they just not only could they not stop you, they couldn't stop you from scoring a touchdown. <laughs> and a big part of it was is when you got inside the five, they just could not get big enough to really hold up. Then they'd have to commit resources inside and then that would open up, you know, slide routes and guys coming open on the perimeter and quarterbacks yeah. getting outside, yeah. things like that. And I think I think that there's a role for Aiden Kanaana as a as a a, a big boy in some packages that I think you find a home for him. Is is he a guy that shows me enough on first and 10 to be a, a guy that can rush the quarterback and, and give you a dual threat presence? No. Is he a guy that when I'm playing Navy, I might say, hey, I just want you to beat their center up every snap for 15 snaps. Yeah, yeah. I am. Am I a guy that when you get in third and one or you get in into the goal line that I'm going to have part of my goal line package? Yeah. Absolutely. 
he won a goal line job a couple of years yeah. ago. Then he, then he hurt yeah. his knee. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we've kind of been pulling for him and I, when spring started O'Malley, we're like, you know, they need this guy. And now it doesn't look as, as urgent. What do you think? I'm really, what do you think they're going to get out of Brennan Vernon? I think long-term Brennan Vernon is somebody that I, that I'm high on. I think Brennan Vernon is not nearly the ready-made player that a lot of, I think, fans maybe think that he is. I think Brennan's a very raw player with a high ceiling. I, I'm with you on that. Whether it's just a big end or a three technique, his body's going to determine that. Like right now, he projects more as like a, a, a pure big end uh, in, in, a, in a similar fashion to like the way that you were going to use like Riley last year, but he's got a little bit a little bit more natural edge ability, I think, than, than maybe Riley did at this at, or Riley did by last year because Riley had put on a, a bunch of weight from when he was in high school. I think he's got a very high ceiling. I just think he's going to, I think all three of those kids, I mean, it's kind of funny, Tim. I had Armo Mukum and Bubakar Traore were, were two of my three lowest ranked recruits in last year's defensive class because I do it two ways. I kind of hear, here's my ranking now, and then here's my upside ranking. Right. They were both in the top three or four of the upside ranking because the ceilings are incredibly high. It's just they're probably going to need time, and and uh, Brennan and and it, Brennan is that kind of guy. I don't know if Brennan's going to be able to help right away. No, I'm not saying that. I just and I, same I, with Bubakar, but I love the I love the length. I love the athletic talent they bring. I think if if Brennan Vernon gets coached, I think he's got a chance to be very good. And I feel the same way about Bubakar. If Bubakar gets coached and and puts in the work. And the reason I don't question Brendan's work as much as Bubakar's because I know that family more. I don't know Bubakar at all. So when I question Bubakar, it's more of a not knowing as opposed to knowing something bad about him. So it's really just a, I don't know him very well. Yeah, he missed his senior year. I'm real high on Treyari. I, yeah. I, I think he, I think his upside is really, really high. I get, I get, yeah. I get what you're saying. Just don't but know enough about him. Yeah, we haven't seen him play a whole ton of football. He was my number one guy on my upside board. So, like, I do a second ranking at the bottom yeah. of my. No, I, 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 that that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the tools are great. I mean, eighty plus inch wingspan, really twitchy first step, really explosive first step. Just learning the game. So there's some reinforcements there uh, that for down the road, and I, and I do like the I love Owen Wafel, for example. I absolutely love Owen Wafel's film. Uh, so uh, you know, to me, Owen Wafel is Howard Cross athletically and Kurt Heinisch's body. That's how I feel about Owen Wafel. Yeah. That's how I see him. At least as a junior, I didn't love his sophomore film. I loved his junior film, uh, and and so. D line, I think, is trending in the right direction. I, I've never been worried about Viper between Batoho and Tui Alamaka and Josh Burnham. I've never been worried about Viper. I've liked what I've seen. We didn't see him yesterday a ton, but I liked what I've seen from Javante Jean Baptiste so far. I think he brings a lot more playmaking ability to that big end position, something they have not had since Adi Takumba Ogandiji left. They've just had guys that are good edge setters. I mean, that's what Myron Tungvaloa Mosa was in 2021. He was just an edge setter. And he was good at it. Riley was a good edge setter last year. Nana was a very good edge setter last year. But we didn't see a ton of pass rushing production outside of Riley occasionally. I think what Javante brings is a guy that can get after the quarterback in your base downs, in my opinion, and, and, and also holds up on the edge. And then that allows Nana to stay in a rotation role where he's ideally suited because Nana as a run defender is pretty darn good most of the time. At times he'll get overwhelmed a little bit by size. But he's just not a guy you really necessarily want to have to rely on to get after the quarterback. Well, that's my thing. There. I, I think I thought Osafa Mensa really, really showed himself as a as an edge setter, but but you know, pass rush is not a, a natural thing to him. My concern with Jean Baptiste is, and that's why when when you know, I first heard that Nordin was thinking strong side end, it's like, how's he going to hold up against the run? There's no doubt about him as a as a pass rusher. I mean, he was, he was born to rush the passer. And I think to a large extent, that's true with Botello. but I've just seen too many times in practice, the image in my head of him getting swallowed up by an offensive tackle. Now the problem is that most of those times it's been Fisher and especially alt. And I mean, alt is clearly a first round draft choice. And so, yeah, you're going to run into that, but Botello you know, per snap was really, really good rushing the pass last year. That reminds me of, I didn't say anything about Kaiser when you were talking about Kaiser, but Kaiser per snap is a huge playmaker. Yeah. Um, so, 
yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic about the defensive line, but I obviously there's still some some concern mm-hmm. because the teams that are playing for national titles are churning out first and second round draft choices on the D line. Does mm-hmm. Notre Dame have a first or second round draft choice on the D line? That's a good question. I don't think they yeah. do. And I do. I do know that there's a lot of NFL teams that are very intrigued by Riley Mills. Well, just because I mean, physically Riley looks like the dude that you see at Georgia and Alabama. And, I, I and, agree. And he could be a guy if he continues to trend like the image that yeah. we got we got yesterday of him, uh, and you and you felt in the in the first long open practice, and that would be that would be the guy. I don't know about first or second round. I'm not right. really sure how many. I mean, how many draft choices are on that D line? Well, the problem, Tim, is a lot of the most NFL talent is the young guys. I mean, there's not a Viper with more NFL talent than Josh Burnham, but is Josh Burnham ready to play this year or not? I mean, that that that's the question mark, right? That's the big thing. I mean, Howard Cross is a really good college player, but he's he doesn't have an NFL body. No, you know, and and a lot of your your NFL talent is the guys we just talked. Tyson Ford has an NFL body, and he's just a long way away from being an NFL football player right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Josh Burnham is that kind of guy. Uh, Bubakar Traore has first round NFL draft pick talent. Brendan Vernon has day two NFL draft pick talent. They're just a long way away from being those guys. And that's kind of the question mark, but that's kind of why I feel like there's two ways to look at it, Tim, right? Because teams winning national championships have putting first, first round guys in the NFL. We've seen it with Clemson in 2018. Uh, We saw it with, um, with obviously Alabama in 2020, Georgia, the last two years. There's other there are, there's other ways to win, and I think that's where Notre Dame's twenty. Because I thought Notre Dame defensively in 2018, when you looked at their their front seven, had a front seven capable of winning a championship and a secondary that was capable of it on for for defense if they didn't lose anyone, <laughs> right? Um, and the and 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 there wasn't a cause to me Jerry Tiller was overdrafted. He was not a first round. Jerry Tiller had a monster totally game against agree. Stanford. Totally agree. None of those guys were first and second round picks, but they had so many. They were throwing so many NFL bodies at people, right? And so even though uh, uh, Adi Takumba wasn't that guy, Aquara wasn't that guy, Daylon Hayes wasn't that guy, Khalid Kareem wasn't that guy, but they were all really good football players, and they just threw waves at you. And I think that's where Notre Dame has to be. Yeah, I mean, those uh, are NFL. Those are yeah. all NFL players, right? But they were fifth round picks and third round picks, yeah. and 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 that, that's my point is. It, no, they don't have a Jalen Carter. And if they're going to play like they need a Jalen Carter, then they're going to struggle. What Notre Dame needs, what's going to work for them is, are you? can you throw just the waves of it? But what what did that group have, Tim? This goes back to what you were saying earlier. Were they elite talents? No. But you know what they all were? Freaking long. Yep. They were all really, really that. long. And that's what's been lacking the last couple of years, in my opinion, was just that you just didn't have the same – body types and that's what they're getting that's what marcus freeman has been focusing on i mean since he's got here outside of heinish because it's always good to bring a heinish in there because kurt played on that team too but tyson ford's really long and big aiden go really long i was just gonna uh, say aiden and, and all four, he had a great pass rush against Tosh baker he just yeah, destroyed Josh Baker yeah. yesterday but you know he's still probably a year away but you're getting to that point so to me Notre Dame this year, I don't think is going to have a championship caliber defense because they have one elite guy in the front seven. It's going to be because you have to be really good everywhere, even though you're not great anywhere, but can you be really good everywhere? Because the one thing I do expect Notre Dame to have this year, Tim, and, and again, at safety, you're in a position where you're a lot like you were at corner in 2018. If everybody stays healthy, you're going to be fine. You lose one guy, or one guy doesn't play up expectations, you're in trouble. Yeah, then but their cornerback room is as good as anybody in the country. And and, and it is amazing. I, I, I said it yesterday, and I'll say it here with Tim Priester as my witness. If Notre Dame doesn't proactively give Mike Mickens a ginormous pay raise this offseason, then they're just not doing this whole building a football program <laughs> thing correctly. Because he has done he has been a miracle worker as a recruiter and a coach. <laughs> he he really has been. Well, they, they gave him the uh, passing game. Yeah. Coordinator, sure. which means yeah. a which means a bump in a bump in title means a, a bump. bump in, in <laughs> I'm not talking about a bump. I'm talking well, about I mean, where like, I, I'm like, being hyperbolic a, a little bit, but that guy needs to get paid because the the point is, Tim, the job he's doing has. This is a guy. I, this is a team where the starting cornerback on your playoff team in 2020 is fighting hard to be your number four corner in 2023. 
and Clarence Lewis. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, he's impressive. doing a tremendous job. I don't know. I don't know that Mike Mickens is a coordinator. I mean, I, there, there's always that assumption that, oh, he's doing, or like, <laughs> I think Brian Mason, he's going to be a head coach someday. I don't know about that. I've I know never he's talked coach. to Brian Mason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, Brian Mason's a, a little bit, you know. Interesting I, cat. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a very interesting cat, and he is a, he's a special teams coach. So I don't, you know, I don't know that that translates the head coach. And I don't know that it translates coordinator for Mike Mickens, but mm-hmm. you are absolutely right. He's a great cornerbacks coach and he's done wonders at Notre Dame. And that's why when I look at the corners, I expect Jaden Mickey to take a significant step up yeah. this year. I mean, it, got, it became, it became a, a good yeah, day yesterday. Tim. I think so. Yesterday. I think, yeah, I, you know, mentally and emotionally, it became last season became a real struggle when I was rewatching the USC game and some of the, some of the stuff that, that he was put up against, you know, I felt really bad for him at that point because he just wasn't equipped, you know, and Caleb Williams is <laughs> playing catch me if you can and, and making it impossible for, for uh, to defend their receivers for an entire, you know, 35 seconds that the play is going mm-hmm. on, you know, but uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, Mickens has done a great job, and I expect Mickey to. I don't, you know, I don't know how much Mickens had to do with Morrison. Certainly, you know, well, we, he recruited we, him. That that's the well, thing, that's is, right? right? Well, we is, hand out we is, hand out blame, and so you have to hand out credit. Right. Benjamin Morrison was probably going to develop anyway, but well, what a tremendous, absolutely tremendous. But, but to me, the win, Tim, there because sometimes you say, "Well, that guy was really talented." Well, they haven't recruited guys like that very often. And no, you no give doubt. him credit for because when he when when they got a commitment for all the people that just get mad every time Notre Dame lands a three star, Benjamin Morrison was a three star recruit when he committed to Notre Dame. Now I thought that was absurd, and I know you thought that was absurd. I, too, I had yeah. him as a top hundred recruit, yeah. but you still had to beat Nick. It's not like they went and found him. He's not like Jeremiah Usukoromoa, who Mike Elko and Clark Lee were recruiting at Wake. They come to Notre Dame and like we're going to steal that kid. Where you have to beat out Michigan State and Virginia to get him. Yeah. You had to beat out Nick Saban and Jimmy Lake, the two best D-back coaches in college football at the time, to get Benjamin Morrison. And as Mike Elko will tell you, Washington was kills Notre Dame in the secondary. Because remember, Mike Elko desperately wanted Kyler Gordon. I mean, he was the top cornerback on Mike Elko's board. And then he couldn't beat he couldn't beat Jimmy Lake for him. And he goes out and becomes a high NFL draft pick. Trent McDuffie goes to Texas to get him, turns him into a high. His ability to identify and coach secondary is was tremendous at Washington. And my thing is Mike Mike Mickens at Notre Dame is showing that same type of ability that I can identify talent. Sometimes it's in the shape of an obvious guy, but then sometimes it's in the shape of a Benjamin Morrison that the rest of the nation doesn't necessarily know about. And so do I give him credit for making him an All-American to the degree that he turned a mediocre talent into an All-American? No, he didn't. He's not having to put like – like in 2020, Tim, he was, he was not a cornerback's coach. He was a guy that was just kind of co- going around trying to put all the you know duct tape over all the leaks in the boat, essentially a corner that year. We're just I got to patchwork this thing together and, and do the best we can. And when they finally went up against a, a receiving core that had legit dudes, they they could there was nothing they could do about it. I mean there's there was no there was no call to make when you're trying to ask Clarence Lewis to cover Devontae Smith. Or Nick McLeod I'm to cover those. those. Here or some kind it's of okay. <laughs> You're all good. I didn't think you were waving at me. <laughs> uh, you know, so so it's about bringing the talent in, but then you've got to coach yeah. that talent up, and that's what he's done a great job of, in my opinion. And you look at Cam Hart; it's going to be back. I thought Cam. A lot of fans, I think, look at the way he played against North Carolina and Ohio State, and just kind of project that on his entire year. But if you look at like from BYU on, Cam Hart was outstanding late in the year last year, which is why everybody kept throwing to Benjamin Morrison. Because you're like, why do they keep throwing well, that, that guy? Well, the what's the alternative? The 6'3 dude that just blows things up to the field? Like, you got yeah, pick you're your poison right at that point. That. I, you know, the th- when you don't see much of – when you're watching the game on TV and you don't see much of Cam Hart in the picture, that means they don't want any part of him. <laughs> and, you know, at, at a certain point, it's like, okay, when are you going to stop throwing to Benjamin Morrison? And I and – yeah. But you get right. that as an, uh, why an opponent would would want to do that. But I, to me, I, you know, and that was always kind of Jalen Elliott and Alohi Gilman. Like, okay, are they are they knocking down? You know, are they uh, batting away fifteen passes? No, it's because they don't really want to throw the ball in their area for fear right. of what they might do. So I think that's Cam Hart. Too. Cam Hart is 
absolutely crucial to this upcoming season. Mm-hmm. And he's so, so vulnerable and so always on the edge of another shoulder injury. And that was why, you know, well, like we were talking about, about Clarence Lewis, I just, I just don't think that you have the, you, you talked early on about mm-hmm. having to have a bunch of great corners. I, and not that he's a great corner, but he is the backup nickel. And he's done a lot of positive things over the course of the last three seasons, but I don't think you can afford to move him because you don't know whether you're going to have Cam Hart for sure games. You just, you See, just do not. I, I, as long as Christian Gray is healthy. Well, I, I, I do. Right. Yeah, so I understand that. Because you've got Benjamin Morrison, you've got Jaden Mickey emerging, you've got Thomas Harper in the nickel, you've got uh, Chance Tucker, who, who's a guy that I like, and you'll have Micah Bell show up. Well, I think Micah Bell's probably not a guy that you necessarily want to throw anywhere other than nickel as a true freshman, but that speed will play. That I think you you almost have to move him at this point. Just my opinion. Now, if Christian Gray goes down and, and you have another injury, and okay, now we're having a different conversation. But the, my whole thing is, is you – I get the what if factor, but if if that happens, you can always move Clarence Lewis back. I think what it's going to determine is I, I think Notre Dame is confident they're going to get someone in the portal. That that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah, do you is see there, Thomas Harper? I mean, he probably is just a nickel, right? I, I yeah. mean, I, he can play nickel as part of a of a. I'm he can play safety from as part of a uh, package as the nickel. So you're going to roll down and, and, and do right, some of that. Right, but as a, right. as a full-time nickel, I just – I don't see that. I mean, a full-time safety, I should say I don't see that. Right. Plus, I mean, here's the I thing too, it. Tim. Yeah. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, in that regard. Because now you're not – you recruited him here. Why did you bring in, 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 in Thomas Harper? Because you watched film and said, we're losing a pretty good nickel. Tyreek Brace is a pretty darn good nickel for Notre Dame last year. And we talk about that USC game. Notre Dame didn't not, not only didn't have Cam Hart in that game, they didn't have Tree Bracy in that game. O'Malley you know? and I, O'Malley and I are sitting in the Coliseum and and the, the the first defensive snap, and it's like, oh my God, they don't have Bracy either. And it's yeah, like how do you stop this offense? And Hart was right? already out, so you basically knew that Caleb Williams was about to, which have- then took Benjamin Morrison out of the game because they just were never going to throw at him. Right. And they didn't. They didn't have to at that yeah. point in time. So you're bringing in Thomas Harper, whose numbers were even better than Tariq Bracey's last year, and whose film, in my opinion, was really good. You go look at the TCU game. Everybody talks about the big comeback. Go look at when that comeback started. It was the series after Thomas Harper got knocked out of the game. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah. And and then when he got hurt, the offense just kind of the defense just kind of fell apart after that. Now, again, it's not just because of him. There was other things leading to that, but it played a big role. And you're now taking away from that to work him at safety. He needs every rep he can, in my opinion, especially he's been out this spring, to work as the nickel. Because when you look at Notre Dame's schedule this year, they're going to have to be a lot more nickel reliant this season than they were a year ago. Because you already have Clemson, Ohio State, and, and USC, who are all teams you got to play nickel against. But now you've got Louisville and Jeff Brom. That's a nickel team. You look at Duke with Riley Leonard. That's a nickel team. Wake Forest, that's a nickel team. Navy's a – I don't know what the heck you want to call whatever your defense is against Navy. So all the teams that you mentioned earlier, Tim, with the exception of Pitt, are all teams that you're going to – and now Stanford is going to this type of offense. They were running at Sacramento State, which is an offense you're going to be needing to play a lot more nickel against. So Mm -hmm. your, your, your primary top opponents that you need to beat if you want to go in a championship are teams where your base defense is essentially going to be your nickel. And I'm not, I don't want to take away from that. It's not an easy answer anywhere, Tim, unless they're able to go out in the portal and find a guy that can be a starting caliber safety at Notre Dame. Did I and see I, did I see Josh DeBerry's available from BC? I don't I know. I believe so, but he's he's to me also more of a nickel. He is now yeah. if you bring him in at nickel and you feel confident that Thomas Harper can be more of a safety, now you might be in a situation yeah, where you can do I'm that. I'm not sure that that's I don't think that's ideal because Thomas Harper, you've seen Thomas Harper. He's oh, not I very big. Thomas Harper's a nickel. Absolutely. Yeah. He's not a, he, he built more like Tariq Bracey than he is uh, uh, Brandon Joseph. Yes. You know, as a safety. So, but I, I do like, I love what I've seen from Xavier Hart or Xavier Watts this spring. I mean, he's just, he's going to be I an impact he, player. I totally agree. I think yeah. he is fast tracking to, to a big time performance in 23 24. He's so athletic. And that's the thing is they've had some really smart, Good, good athletes at safety. I think he's a one of the more explosive athletes they've had at safety in recent years. I, I really do, and he's starting to get more and more comfortable there. 
Ramon Henderson's a better version of himself, meaning he's still going to have those snaps. You're just like, dude, what are you doing? That's just what I, I kind of come to the point that we're just always going to have to deal with that with Ramon. But they're few and far between, and he's making a few more plays. DJ Brown is a guy that if you can keep him in a niche role, it's fine. You just can't have him in a role where you're asking him to cover people a whole lot. Yeah, or to you make just got to use him correctly. Or to make an open field tackle. Right. <laughs> but that's the whole point, though. That's where you're in that pickle at safety because it's like Ben Minich is a number two at safety right now. And we hear yeah. how good he's doing it in the yeah, spring. Get, we haven't, we haven't seen a lot, but it's to my original point, Tim. You don't want a safety to be in the two deep because you have no other options. You want a guy to be in the two deep because he's done so well that you – I almost feel like the people I talk to in Notre Dame are kind of – trying to convince me or convince themselves that he's ready to play right now. And maybe he will be by August. I mean, I, I like Ben Minnis as a player. I just feel like when, when you're talking to me about, how, Oh yeah, he, he's, that sounds more like you're trying to convince yourself that, of yeah, that he, as opposed to necessarily him without question after nine practices, clearly being ready to be he's a, little, he's a little guy, man. He is not yeah. a very big guy. And of course, all of this, not that you would want to throw freshmen into the fray, but if you had Peyton Bowen and Brandon Hillman, it would be a completely different. Right. And a healthy Adon Schuler. I mean, because now you've yeah, got yeah, bodies. Yeah. Now yeah. you've got some bodies. And you say, okay, of this group of four guys, somebody is going to be able to help us. And Minnick's no got a – didn't he break his thumb? He's got something. Yeah, he was out yesterday. Yeah. 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 Which a thumb is a safety on whatever. I mean, yeah. you know, you, <laughs> you're suck it up, tape it up, yeah. put the cast on yeah. it, you're going to be okay. Not a, but not every, not I say that so much. already in that yeah. mindset, but he's going to have to be. But that's the one question mark I still have at safety because here's where you don't want to be. And at the end of the day, as we wrap this up, Tim, here's my biggest takeaway from the spring, this Notre Dame football team. Are they where they need to be yet? No. Neither is anyone else. Uh, did you watch Michigan spring game? They're also still a work in progress. Uh, wait till you see Ohio State's offensive line this weekend. They're a, still a work in progress. That's the nature of the spring. How, Having said that, the thing that gives me more confidence about this season being good. Now, how good? We'll find out. But the reason I'm very optimistic about this team is because there is – last year, for me, it was a – if this, 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 and this happens, this team's got a chance to be really good. But there were just so many ifs where if that if that doesn't work out, the drop-off was pretty substantial. And the way I feel about this team is, with the exception of offensive tackle and safety, there, there are so many more situations where if Tobias Merriweather gets hurt for a couple games, or let's say he's just a year away from being a star – it's not like your receiving core has nothing. It's not him and then you're turning to a walk-on who can't play at this level or a Daniel Smith or something. I mean, you're, you've got guys that can play. And I guess that's kind of where I come from and say my optimism comes from the fact that you could go down to your fourth running back and be fine. You could go down to, to – you could have to play, you know, say what you want about the starter starting veteran linebackers, whatever the case may be. But if for some reason they're not there, I feel a lot better about what's pushing them and what's coming them better. And, and I say that in a lot of positions. And the reason that's important to him is because football is not a game where everything goes according to plan. With the exception of like maybe LSU 2019 stuff happens. The other part of that too, Tim is, is competition is a wonderful thing. And the reality is there's been too many years at Notre Dame where there wasn't real competition because the kids aren't stupid. And they know that you can tell me all you want that there's a competition at corner, but we all know that Low Wood's not pushing the other starting cornerback's first starting job, with all due respect to Low Wood. That's just – so this guy's not pushing that guy. You can say all you want, but I'm the starter because that guy's not any good. Right. And that's just how young people are sometimes. Not everybody, but you can't take a day off now. You, you can't. I don't care who you are. You can't take a day off because there's somebody breathing down your neck that's going to make you better. And I think that's another – those are the two reasons for me why I'm just optimistic that this team doesn't need to have – hit the inside, inside straight on everything going right for this team to be a really darn good football yeah, team. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, as as we walk away from this, it de- impact D-line performance – and what's your everything that you said about safety and the depth? And I mean, to me, those are the those are the two keys because I think offensively, when all is said and done, uh, but you know, the last time Notre Dame averaged forty points a game, they never have nineteen twelve. Nineteen twelve, they did okay. Yeah, 
I thought the was it the six what six years I thought the sixty oh that must be the modern record then the the year in the sixties they scored thirty seven point six I thought was the the record. Oh uh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I like they officially start keeping NCAA stats in forty six. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay. So, believe it or not, I didn't cover the forty six season. I, I, I really. Well, I was going to ask you if you covered the nineteen twelve season, but I didn't want to. You know, I didn't want to offend you. <laughs> that was when they were beating uh, Haskell seventy three yeah. to nothing in uh, yeah. South Bend High School. John L. Marks was the head football. John coach. L. Marks was the head coach when yeah. they averaged. It was like 48 a game. Yeah. And they, they scored 116 points that year against St. Viator. Viator, yeah. I don't think we're going to see them score that this no, year. But, but, with, but with with Hartman and all the components they have offensively, they should be in the upper 30s. And, and we, we both know that it's not how much you average per game because you can beef up on the Central Michigans. And 2019 is a great example. Pace. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, do you score enough? to win at NC state. Do you right. score enough to beat, you know, an upstart Duke or, or, you know, teams like that. And then Ohio state, Ohio Clemson state on the road Clemson right. and, and USC, right. especially that's, that's when your average, you know, right. really, really matters. Right. Cause to your point, Tim, 2019 was Notre Dame's best, most points ever scored for a team. Now, again, they played a lot more games yeah. that 2019, 12 team played seven games. Uh, by the way, I want to say this against St. Vieter, Adrian, Morris, Harvey, Wabash. I coached against Wabash, Pitt, St. Louis, and Marquette. So a lot of teams that don't have football anymore. So I can say that I coached and beat a team that Notre Dame also coached. You're all over it, man. I'm I'm, I'm there, man. Uh, But in all seriousness, it's those things where you can go score 66 on New Mexico and score 50, was it nine against Bowling Green? and score a mess of points against a bad Duke team, and score a mess of points against BC, who wasn't very good that year. But then you score 17 against Georgia and 14 against Michigan. I don't really care what your points per game were. Right. I don't. I don't care yeah. that you set some record because it's about can you score those points when it matters. And that's where Notre Dame has been missing for years. And that's the one thing that I thought made that 2015 team so dangerous is because they were going to score on you. And then they did score enough points to put themselves in position to win Two of the three games they played, they were so beat up on offense and against Ohio State in the bowl game. But, you know, the offense put itself in position to make some plays in that, late in that game against Clemson. The offense put themselves in position to beat Stanford that year. I mean, you score a touchdown to go up with 30 seconds left, you feel like you've done your job, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's the same thing with the 05 team. It, it's been very rare that Notre Dame could go into a season and say, hey, we just got to make some stops because we can score on people. I mean, that 05 team, if they could just make stops, they're undefeated and playing for a national championship that year. I mean, they just couldn't make stops against Michigan State, and they couldn't make a stop late against USC. And and you hope that, that – I mean, that, well, not hope. That's where they have to get to. I mean, look, Tim, I made this point earlier this week. The notion that defense wins championships is just not a real thing anymore in college football. It, My stance is defense will get you to the show. But if you want to truly win a championship, you got to be able to score. The two losing teams in the playoff games last year scored 45 and 41 points. Now, the counters, well, well, you know, Georgia held TCU to seven. Yeah, but Georgia's the standard. If I want to beat Georgia, that means I had to score 66 <laughs> to beat Georgia, right? Right, yeah. That's the point. And, and you've got to be able to score in those games. Now, do you need to make stops? Sure. Georgia could make stops late against Ohio State. Ohio State could make stops on Georgia late. I get that. But it's not we're the, the days of the 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 ten to three title game between Oklahoma and Florida State is just it's just not part of football anymore. It may cycle back someday. But right now, I don't care how good your deep Notre Dame's defense is, the defense will get them to the playoff. It's if it's as good as I hope it'll be. Because I think an eleven and one season this year gets Notre Dame in the playoff. I do. As long as the loss isn't like some thirty five point beatdown at home to Ohio State or USC or at Clemson or something like that. But to win it all, which is always the goal, should always be the goal at Notre Dame, you've got to be able to score and score on the good teams. And that's where I feel like they're – will it be this year or not? We'll find out. But they're trending in a direction that you're going to get there because of what they're doing at the quarterback position, at the, the receiver position, and at running back position because it it got dark there for a while in the Autry Denson era. With all due respect to him as a player, it was not a – it was, I would say it, pretty useless recruiter. But since Lance Taylor and Dylan McCullough have have kind of teamed up, and Tommy Reese as well, the running back room is stacked. For, I mean, it's been a long time since they're as deep as they've been at running back. I mean, back in the days when I was reading, you got you and Lou at Blue and Gold is the last <laughs> time I remember them being this deep at running back. 
and receiving cores getting there. The, the tight end room is there. The O-line is there. But it's the quarterback and receiver recruiting that has changed things. Now we need to find out if they can develop that into an elite offense. That's yeah. the big question. Yeah. And and then, we can and say then, whatever we want about practice, Tim, but it's not until we get to games and see it that you really say, okay. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And then elite talent along the defensive line with depth yeah. and size that, that we talked about as well. So it's building in that way. And I, you know, I think both you and I are very confident in Marcus Freeman and what he's doing. Um, he is a man, he is a pipe piper. He, he mm-hmm. has the ability to get people to follow him. I, I almost kind of astonished at the blind faith that a lot of people had in him last season. Um, Going into the season, they love they love Marcus Freeman. Marcus mm-hmm. Freeman's genuine. He's real. Uh, he's tougher on players than I think fans realize, because you always hear him, you know, saying real positive things about his players and being real upbeat. But I think when it comes time to to you know get the job done on the practice field, in fact, there have been some injuries along the way that have probably occurred because their practices have been so physical yeah. since since he, he uh, became defensive coordinator a couple of years ago. So um, yeah. yeah, looking forward to, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's fun to cover him. It's fun to be around them. They certainly make it a lot easier for the media to cover them uh, in terms of access to interviews and stuff like that. Um, how about an impromptu fully open practice? Yesterday? Yeah, that was nice. I have been uh, very hard on, on uh, the Notre Dame, media department because I think there's a lot of missed opportunities to bring even more coverage and things, not just from us, but from things they need to be doing. Yesterday was pretty awesome and, and appreciated because they, they didn't have to. I mean, the thing I almost said is I don't like what Notre Dame does, but they don't, we're not entitled to be at practices. I do it's, not. It's, feel, it's not a right. No, I do not feel right. after having done this for 41 years, I'm not entitled. Why would, why would right. we be entitled? I, I, don't, right. I don't feel that way. And so, I didn't, Brian Kelly didn't give us hardly any access to, to certainly assistant coaches right. and players and practice. You know what? It's not our ball to play with, man. Right. I mean, now, I can criti- critique it because for me, it comes from an NFL NIL standpoint, and I don't necessarily want to die. We can maybe discuss this another time. Well, they, need to, they, need to, but, they need to promote their NIL. They need to promote fund right. in a much better way. We've been trying it, to get a hold of the nutritionist. Right. We've been trying to do an interview with the nutritionist since August. Right. Now, do you do you want do you want do you want people to talk about Notre Dame's nutrition and how they're doing it, or do you not? Right. Apparently, they do not. I remember when they first hired—I can't remember the gentleman's name—about NIL. I tried to get an interview right away. No, he's not ready to do it, and he's left. He's gone. He hasn't even—he yeah. never did an interview before before he left. That if yeah. you want these things to take off. Right. You need to give credence to them. That, right. part, that part I would agree. And you with. have to understand that getting yourself out on socials constantly is good for your brand and good for your players. And that's my whole point is like, if you don't want to let us be at more practices, my thing is like these mic'd up things, they need to be doing stuff like that and practice highlights and more of that stuff every single practice. And that's, I don't know about every practice, but they do. I mean, they I, do I, a lot. I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't I, they're starting to. I don't. I don't think that they do, especially when you look at like what other teams are doing. Like, yeah. like UMass is doing like really cool stuff. That's my whole point. But as well, far but as practice access, I appreciated the fact that that they they, you know, because they made the switch last minute, right? Which for some people impacted their ability to be at practice yesterday. But it's you know, again, I I can say, hey, I don't agree with something. And I think they should do it more and state my case. But I also understand and appreciate that they don't owe us any practice access at all and so when they give us a full practice and then they explained why tim did they did you hear why they switched no, it up no 
So they're going to have a big scrimmage on Saturday. Oh, yeah, okay, I did. And so Friday is going to be kind of a walk through, not a lot day, and they didn't feel it would be right since we were so limited in practice that 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 be one of the four we see and that be a and and you know what? I appreciated the heck out of that because yeah, no doubt. I don't think that would have happened under the No, definitely not. Regime. Definitely not. No. And so I I respected that. So if I'm going to criticize you for something that I don't think you're doing uh a good enough job at. And when you do it right, I'm going to praise it. And I was very appreciative of, of what we saw. Yeah, Cause no, Tim, they went over, they went way, like Alan looked at us at one point in time. was like, y'all know practice was supposed to end <laughs> a little while ago. Like they stopped the clock of the periods. They just turned it to zero. Cause they just, they coach didn't feel like they'd gotten enough work in. And, uh, and they just had a couple, maybe 10 extra minutes of practice, just getting the, the, the yeah. sc- scrimmages done. That was appreciated, and we got a chance to see a lot yesterday. Which, no, which okay. I was they don't. They don't. I mean, I mean, I realize that that uh, we as a profession tend to feel entitled about stuff more so when I was younger. I'm, I'm <laughs> mellowing. It's like you know, man, it, it, it is. It's your it's your football. You determine when we can yeah. play with it, and and uh, it's all good. But you know, Marcus Freeman, yeah. I I think that it's a I think it's a consensus among the media that you sure would like to see a guy like that. Yeah succeed because i think his heart's in the right place he under he came in appreciating and understanding notre dame instead of trying yeah. to change it Bob and it was real tim it was yeah. real like you can yeah. say all the right things you know what you know why i think that is brian because he chose notre dame was his second choice as a player mm-hmm. and i think that as a late as a teenager he understood notre dame and so certainly uh as a as a young football coach He's not trying to fight Notre Dame all the time. Bob Davey tried to fight Notre Dame. Right. Brian Kelly certainly initially tried to fight, you know, fight Notre Dame. Notre Dame is unique. I know younger generations of fans think that Notre Dame should have a win at all cost of approach to, to football, which you just don't, I don't, I don't understand. You, you can't <laughs> lose your, you can't lose what makes you unique. Well, that's a, it's hard for me to understand how yeah. they became Notre Dame fans because when I grew up watching Notre Dame football, and I say this all the time, yes, it was easy to be a Notre Dame fan when you lived in South Bend and they won national titles when you were six, 13 and 17. <laughs> that was the experience. Just rub it in, had. Tim. Why don't you just rub it into all of us who have experienced right. one title in our lives. But yeah. we also had took great pride in the fact that right. Notre Dame's doing things differently academically. Yeah. Notre Dame does things differently. And if that sometimes causes you to lose back then it was, it was appreciated because you knew that Notre Dame clearly was uh, turning out, student athletes where you, where I would love to maybe have a, a discussion with you on the show one time. And, and I'll, and I'll just say this and we'll, we'll move on to the mailbag next. Cause I, cause I want to get to the, some of these questions that people have for us. I think that there's a balance between the two funk factions that I see in this debate. The one faction is, and I'm not saying you're here cause I don't know enough about your position here is the whole, well, this is the way it's always been done type of thing. And then there's the faction of the, well, this is what Alabama's doing, and this is what Ohio State is doing. And that kind of drives me nuts because my whole thing is, why did you become a Notre Dame fan? I became a Notre Dame fan not just because they were winning when I was a kid. Because, I, Tim, my, my formative years as a Notre Dame fan was 88 to 93. It was a lot shorter than what yeah, you went through, but it was pretty good. And, and But one of the things that I always prided myself on, especially growing up in Ohio around Ohio State and Michigan fans, was that Notre Dame did win different. And my whole point is I don't want Notre Dame to get into the NIL sphere for recruiting. I don't, I don't want that. I, I, I don't, that's just not something I I'm interested in Notre Dame doing NIL for your current team, flat out do maximum of what you can do. I don't want Notre Dame to bringing in a kid who's a, a, a phenomenal athlete. That's a two, two and has no interest in going to class. None. I have zero interest in that. I, because if you're not developing young, you know me well enough to know Tim that, that I take the coaching aspect of 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 it very seriously when it comes to your job is not only to win football games your job is to develop young men and 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 that is something i take great pride in my whole point is i think there's certain things that the school has stubbornly viewed as we can't do this because of whatever reason we're notre dame that there shouldn't be there's no reason you can't have an you can't have a top five paid coaching staff there's no reason you can't have a top five support staff because the way i look at it is all those things ultimately are better for the players. There's no reason you can't have 
the best, you know, a top five nutrition program and food program and all these other things that to me are player centric. I don't need them to have a freaking slide in the football facility. Like, you know, you know, I don't care about that. I don't care. That they have all these little gimmicky stuff. Yes. You need updated facilities, but I don't need all that crap. Cause this is Notre Dame. This is a serious place. I want you making extra study halls as opposed to putting a slide up. It's the stubbornness when it comes to some of the things that there's just no reason to be stubborn there. That's where I would come in. And to me, academically, it's not so much my beef. I think we could pick a kid here and there and say they should have let that kid in. But then you could counter with, but they let that kid in. So they have clearly shown exceptions and allowed the staff to get in. Uh, so it's not like every kid's a 3-4, you can't get in Notre Dame. So I get, I get tired of that. I think there's also this misconception that you can't have talent if you don't bring in guys with low grades. There's plenty of kids. You, you and I know this, Tim. You're – how many kids at Clemson in 2018 could have been standouts in the classroom at Notre Dame that would have helped that team? Trevor Lawrence couldn't have. Christian Wilkins flat out was a Notre Dame fit academically. You just didn't recruit him because you didn't put a good enough product on the field. Right. So my whole thing is there's enough guys out there that if you recruit the right, right way, you don't need to bring in 10 exceptions to your football team, academic exceptions. You know, well, hey, let me get these five two two kids and we're going to go win a title. I don't want to win that way. Yeah, that's why I'm a Notre Dame fan. If I wanted to win that way, I'd go root for Alabama. Well, I, Georgia. I agree. And look, I'm of the generation where, yeah, we, you know, this is the way it's always been at Notre Dame. Yeah, I was, I was part of that group at one point too because Notre Dame did. I mean, they were competing with the best in the country, and they were winning in the '60s and '70s, and certainly well before that and stuff. But you're, I, I mean, I believe that you're absolutely right in in terms of, and I think the Notre Dame is changing. They Notre Dame has changed tremendously in terms of being open-minded about, okay, looking at it this way, looking at it that way. Highest paid coaching staff? I mean, it doesn't have to be the highest paid, but it needs to be competitive, and it right. is now. I believe it is now, at least among at least among coordinators, at least among coordinators. Right. Uh, and the head coach But that's well. not – they're not losing coordinators to other coordinator jobs with the exception of Tommy Reese, but Tommy Reese's thing was not about money. No, it was like, preparation. Yeah, no, I get that. And right. I don't, you know, I don't have any, if Tommy Reese wanted to leave to go to Alabama, so be it. Right. I, I have no problem with that. My, my, I just, there were some people saying, well, well, Notre Dame, you know, has to do this. Well, they didn't lose Tommy Reese because of money. Well, and if Tommy that, Reese made an point. understandable decision that we all make that this getting to coach for Nick Saban is going to help me become a better coach. I have no problem with that. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Not. And Brian Kelly, you know, Brian Kelly wanted, he wanted his contract extended. Well, I don't. I really didn't blame Notre Dame not right. wanting to extend it further because they have probably maximized things right. with him. I, I get that. As yeah. far as you mentioned exceptions in the classroom, I'm, I am a little bit hesitant to make direct comparisons because we don't have any idea Chris Zorch versus Brandon Hillman, Tony Rice, and all the specifics. You know, when I went to Notre Dame, when I was a student at Notre Dame, one of my jobs was in the admissions department. (laughs) It was. And, you know, just clerical work and and, Mm -hmm. and stuff to to earn a little little bit of money. So I I did – you know, we can't, I, I just, I, I cringe a little bit when I hear, well, Brandon Hillman, but you did this for him, him. We don't know the transcript. We don't know all the right. ins and outs of that. And so I'm a little hesitant to make that statement, but things that they, uh, many of the things that you've mentioned, things that can be controlled. I mean, nutrition, I think the nutrition thing is blown out of proportion. My wife's in food service at Notre Dame. Now the, the execution of it because of the, the, the way the Goog is, is made up. The Goog needs to be renovated. The Goog is not preventing Notre Dame from winning national title. Well, see that, but that's, that's my thing though, Tim is I have never said it's keeping them from winning titles. And that was my big problem with Brian Kelly. I wrote an article when he had that interview where he, he, you know, talking about a chef and I'm like, a chef isn't why you decided to call a jet sweep to Chris Brown inside the five yard line, a jet sweep or not having a chef is not why you decided to do a rollout go route when you're in field goal range against Tulsa, not having a chef is not why (laughs) you didn't go, why you decided to go for two against Northwestern Northwestern. when everyone on the planet says that's the dumb decision. So there comes a point in time where you say, is this keeping them from winning a title? No, I think you can still win it because Lou Holtz didn't have top five of those things when he was at Notre Dame. My point is, is you need to start removing the unnecessary roadblocks totally agree. from your football program. Totally agree. That's my point. 
Well, and I, things I, that don't, I, don't cause you to sacrifice what you believe in. I, I totally That's agree with that, Brian. And as God is my witness, I promise you that what the football team eats is is totally dictated by the football program. Sure. Well, yeah. The delivery system is not where it needs to be, as you no, mentioned. But the thing is, we could we could debate this all day. I, I, I'll just say it's not where it needs to be. It's not terrible. It's not going to keep you from beating Ohio State this year. It's not going to keep you from beating Clemson this year. That that's my whole that's my whole thing, right? We we can talk about is it good enough or not, and you and I are going to have to agree to disagree on that. But neither of us are going to sit there and say. I'm just saying hypothetically, Tim. I'm not. I'm, I'm no, not trying I, to. Say. I mean, I'm. But neither of us are going to sit there and say you're going to lose to Ohio State because you're no, not giving your, your players aren't doing the same thing the Bama's doing. But I'm. A, I, I agree that the process should be better. That is a controllable, right. and it should right. be better. But I don't know all the reasons why the Goog hasn't been renovated, other mm-hmm. than money, other right. than like dedicated money to that. Uh, I don't know. And, but let's move on. Honestly, I'll say this: the the the. There's one thing that I do agree with Notre Dame on financially that a lot of people don't, and it's why Notre Dame didn't suffer as much during COVID as some other people did, is because Notre Dame has a philosophy that I agree with because I've run my business that way. I'm not going to start a project until I've raised the money to pay for the project. Well, that's why the goo hasn't been rented. Right. And so we could discuss, well, are they prioritizing that fundraising? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't. I don't know. But I have no problem with that, actually, because I think that's how smart businesses should run. There's so many athletic departments that basically just run off their TV revenue that they're not they don't make smart business decisions. And then when COVID happens, they're like laying off all these people and cutting back all these other sports because they've been spending irresponsibly for so many years, in my opinion. And so I actually don't have a problem with that. I just wish they would hurry up and <laughs> raise the money. So you no, I get, get it. it. I get it. But, I, you know, I, I get yeah. I grow a little weary of, uh, you know, I. I I have known quite well every athletic director since Moose Krause, who was just an absolute gem of a human being. And, and, and I hear, you know, it, it, it's, I realize it's unpopular to defend Jack Swarbrick these days because he's not doing enough. He's not doing enough. Jack Swarbrick. I, I mean, he's done just about everything in athletic direct. He's achieved just about everything an athletic director at Notre Dame could possibly achieve he the the 12 team playoff that's coming up there's only one athletic director in the country that impacted that i mean like like pulling the scheme together and it was jack swarbrick jack swarbrick and and i I give brian kelly a tremendous amount of credit in 2020 but it's mainly jack swarbrick he's the one that kept the season intact yeah when when the acc was ready to shut the season down He said to the ACC, just be patient a little while longer. And then, and then, and then everything. That domino doesn't fall, Tim. There's no, there's no 2020 college football. The SEC might've been the only conference to play. Notre Dame's Notre Dame's preparation for every right hook that COVID threw was absolutely tremendous in 2020, but we don't, because you know, we're, we're a nation of blame, point the finger, you suck, they suck. We're, we're in that mode. Then no credit goes toward those that... that... And, and that's the frustrating thing, Tim, is I have legitimate beefs with Jack Swarbrick. There's no doubt. But what frustrates me is it's it's <laughs> we are in this position where if you, if you don't like what he did on A, B, C, and D, then you can't show support for him when he does, you know, ABCD over here. And, and it, it's kind of like, we need to, we, I get so sick of this. It, you're, you're absolutely right, Tim. And we're about to go off on tangents. So I'm going to, I'm going to take us off this ledge here in a second, but to, to really be able to do this thing correctly, we need to be able to say, Hey, this guy did a really good job here and, and not diminish it. And then look over here and say, but he didn't do a good enough job over there. It's like Brian Kelly is a perfect example of that. I don't like Brian Kelly very much. I never have, you know, that, but, I'll also give him all the credit in the world on all the areas where he deserved it. And this program is astronomically different than the one he took over. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. So does Jack Swarbrick go back and look at what the, where Notre Dame was in 2012 from a, a facility standpoint, a staff salary standpoint, just 12, 10 years ago. And then look where they are now. The it's, it's unrecognizable. 
Well, getting we're Notre talking Dame about where they were in '88. We're talking where they were in 2012. Getting, it's getting Notre Dame in the ACC when the Big East yeah. broke up. Now everybody looks at oh, well, the ACC sucks now, and, it, and the ACC is not very good in football, yeah. and they're not very good in basketball. But nine years ago, it was an incredible accomplishment. Yeah. And I know, well, who cares about all the other sports? Well, Notre Dame does. They got to well, use And you should. I mean, they're one of their, athletically, Notre Dame, they won the uh, Director's Cup. The men won it two years ago. They're one of the best. And, Getting the hockey team into the Big Ten has brought yeah, so much I mean, recognition that, to the program. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Look, so I'm, I'm going on, and I'm nobody's perfect. I'm not saying he's perfect. But Jack Swarbrick has had to deal with more things in his tenure than all the other athletic yeah. directors combined. I agree with that for sure. I do agree with that. I do. Well, the super conferences back in 11, he was a big reason why that died. He played yeah. a big role in why that died. Yeah. So no, nobody, nobody's perfect. I, yeah. I, I, I have to look at, at every, everybody that I report on, I have to look at it objectively. Yeah. And objectively, Jack Swarbrick is the greatest athletic administrator in the history of Notre Dame. And it's really not close other than Dick Rosenthal. Moose Krause is an When was Dick Rosenthal there? What? Well, he was there for the national title, right? When did he leave? Because I was like, I was ten when they won the title in '88. Uh, mid nineties, mid nineties. Okay, yeah, mid, uh, Kevin. I don't like, remember his tenure a whole lot because again, mid nineties, I was still in high school. Right? Yeah, Dick so, Rosenthal is one of the yeah. finest human beings I've. I'm ever more. Met. I'm more remember Kevin White's probably the first athletic director I remember because I didn't care about athletic directors when I was 15 years old. So yeah, no, Kevin I, White's I, probably yeah. the first one that I remember. Uh, you know, so. I mean, Kevin, Kevin White, who I, I respect as a, as a person, um, you know, his, his background was more in the other sports. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I don't think he was as well equipped to, to, to deal with the, the football aspect of everything. And then you had the, you know, you had a couple coaching errors there that didn't go very well, but Dick Rosenthal, is an awesome human being. In fact, I spoke to him probably about six weeks ago. He's now 90 years old. Wow. Uh, and is just a, a great man and a great Notre Dame man and a guy that I respect tremendously. Well, Tim, that was a fun discussion. I do want to get to the mailbag here before we get out of here. But before we do, folks, do us a favor. Hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Make sure that you are checking out what we are doing at irishbreakdown.com. Sign up for the message board at boards at irishbreakdown.com. And you can also find Tim's podcast. Tim wants to let people know where they can find the, the podcast. You guys do, what, uh, one, sh- one, one show a week? Two? Uh, we do, I mean, usually two through the two? spring and then okay. two uh, two during the season. Just go to irishbreakdown.com and and you'll find us. 